What a blessing. I want you to look again this morning, verse 6 of our text, where the Hebrew writer, you'll notice, references a specific testimony made by a specific person in a specific place. Verse 6 says, but one, well, that's, that's the person who is David. It says, in a certain place, that's the location, the book of Psalms, testified a saying, which of course is the specific testimony. And if you're wondering which psalm the writer points to, really you just need to keep reading. Verse 6, but one in a certain place testified saying, what is man? That thou art mindful of him, or the son of man, that thou visitest him. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with glory and honor. Well, of course, those are the very familiar and beloved words of Psalm 8. It is a psalm, as you probably know, that testifies to the glory and the wonder of God's creation. It is also precisely what the scattered, beleaguered, and persecuted believers and Hebrews needed to hear. As you may recall, the first words of that great psalm in the very first verse says the same thing exactly as the words in the last verse. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. O Lord, there's the Creator, our Lord, there's the Savior. For the next few moments, I want us to consider why. Why the one who created all things, why the one whose name is excellent in all of the earth has crowned you with glory and honor. Father, we need your help today. We need your help in the same way the Hebrews did when this letter, this epistle was penned for them in their hearts and then for all of us. And I pray you will help us. Thank you, Lord, for these faithful people. Strengthen them to, to the hearing of your word and what the Spirit has to say. And help me too, Lord, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Hebrew writer, after a long discussion in chapter 1 about the angels of God, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to quote an Old Testament text that was sung as an evening psalm. Typically, it was sung uh, by the congregation at night out underneath the stars. And as you'll see, the psalmist begins with two great thoughts, two ideas that are sort of carried out throughout this text and in that chapter. You'll notice on the screen, verse 1 says this, O Lord, our Lord, now of course it's capitalized and then lowercase, O God, our Lord, how excellent is thy name, and look at it, number one, in all the earth, and number two, above the heavens. It is a reminder by David that no matter where you look in God's great creation, up there, or all down here and around us, you will see the testimony of God's glory. And in fact, God gives two illustrations back there. You'll notice again, verse 2 says, out of the mouth of babes. There's a baby that's here on earth. When even their whimpers, when even their simplest observations give testimony to the glory and the strength of God. They were ordained, the Bible says, to do this. And then he says in verse 3, when I consider the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast made. So, you'll notice the same word ordained is there. In other words, God has ordained galaxies and God has ordained little babies to give praise and glory to the power and omniscience of our God. Which again leads the psalmist and led the psalmist to declare, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. 
So the challenge is to look at both of these, the microscope and the telescope, that is way up there, way down here. When I consider, David says, when I look at the majesty of the mountains, the vast seas, when I look at the meadows and the grain fields and the polar regions, and there you will see always, of course, the testimony of God's glory. But then look even closer. Descend to the lowest depths of the ocean where the water sleeps and the sand is motionless because there too you will see the glory of God. Ask any of our divers in this room about the beauty and the wonder of what is below the ocean itself. All of this glory, as you'll see in a moment, points to Jesus, the creator of the glory. Last night, Ben and I were driving and apparently came upon a skunk and immediately the smell filled up our car. We just kept driving, hoping that it would go away, but it didn't go away. And so I cracked the windows open a little bit, hoping that the fresh cold air would come in. That did not work. And so I just rolled all the windows down and we were actually on our way last night to my office so I could scan my freshly minted final draft of this very sermon I'm preaching right now, which was sitting in a stack in the back seat. And sure enough, the wind caught it and rustled it and right out the window onto I-95. <clears throat> Pitch black, cold, several pages were gone. And Ben looks over me as, a, in, you know, as I'm in a panic, rolling the windows back up like, that was genius, Dad. <laughs> but later, as I'm rewriting it, I realize, and I had to, have to rewrite these notes now, I realize that somewhere on the side of the road are these words. And I thought maybe somebody will pick it up and read it. Because what I lost, I realized, was verse 9. We see Jesus, who for the suffering of death by the grace of God should taste death for every man. And as annoyed as I was, I tried to imagine somebody walking on the road today in the daylight and reading those words and getting saved. And then I realized nobody can read my chicken scratch. And, and I was annoyed all over again. Not even me, by the way, half the time. When I consider, David says, the stars and the seas, and the skies. And of course, as we noted, David also pointed to a little baby, an infant, and in particular, the sounds of an infant, of a little child, and the words. Over in the baby nursery right now, and in the toddlers, there are a couple of controls over there that are actually pointless. I'm talking, of course, about the speakers and the speaker controls, so that the workers over there can hear me preach right now. Yeah, right, as if that's happening. Do you know how many people over there are listening to what I say right now? Zero, nada, zippo. I'll give $5 to the first one who comes over here now or just comes up to me after church and don't tell them I said this. They have to do it on their own if they hear me. Babies get all the attention. They're the best preachers on earth. I can't tell you how many times I have seen young couples come back to the Lord when they hold that first baby in their arms. It's another reason, by the way, why Satan loves abortion. Everywhere, beloved, and in all of the earth, the excellence of God's name is to be found. But that's not all. You see verse 3 again, when I consider thy heavens, the moon, and the stars. It's not just babies. It's galaxies. You know, it's interesting to me how that the more man looks at our universe, the more billion-dollar 
uh, telescopes, man devises the Hubble and the, and the James Webb and all of that, the more that man sees, the more questions he has. So that it's amazing that the closer we look at the universe, it's really like the bigger it becomes. It's more vast and more complex and more ordered and amazing than ever imagined. But so it was thousand years ago for a man, a boy named David, sitting on a, house, on a hillside near Bethlehem, he sees the works of God without a telescope and he gives glory to God. And after looking at all of that glory so evident in the earth and in all of the heavens above him, here was his response. Chapter 2, verse 6. But one in a certain place, David in Psalm 8, testified saying, what is man? that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him. In other words, David's response to all of that glory, to all that he considered was a question. And the question was, wow, who am I? Who am I that the creator of all of this, that you, God, would be mindful of me? Some of our men went to a Miami Heat game this week, and one of them wore a Giannis. Giannis, what is it, Antetokounmpo? Yeah, Antetokounmpo. Giannis jersey, and unfortunately Giannis didn't play. He was there, but he didn't play. But leaving the game, he saw the Milwaukee players getting on the bus, and sure enough, he noticed Christian's shirt, and Giannis looked at him and pointed at him and waved, and that made his year. He looked at me. Giannis, with a long Greek name. I have a question. Giannis is immortal. He is a man. Our text is talking about the creator of the universe. What is man that thou art mindful of him? That's the question. The Hebrew writer wanted his readers to hear it, consider it, and note what it says. Verse 6 again. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Here it is. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. You know, folks, for thousands of years, all kinds of men, psychologists and women, philosophers and historians and scientists and sociologists and humanists, they have all asked the question, what is man? They've asked the question, who am I? What am I? Who am I? And after all of these years and years of study, the best they can come up with from Aristotle to Darwin, their best answer is man is nothing. He's an animal. He's an accident. He's a dolphin without fins. He's a creature who comes and goes. That's their answer. Not realizing, of course, that the real answer to the question is what is man has to come from the creator of man who has told us in his word. And here it is. Verse 7, thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. Wait a minute. You'll notice two incredible things in that text. A, man is crowned. And he is crowned with glory and honor. And B, God is the one who has crowned him. In other words, a man has glory. But it's derived glory. 
Verse 8, thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put in all in subjection under him. You see, beloved, God made us to have dominion over all these things we mentioned. God created man to have dominion over God's creation. It's a dominion that has been marred but not destroyed when Adam sinned. Every time you sit down and you eat some fish or poultry or beef, and you're sitting on a chair made from a tree, and you're wearing clothing that came from a sheep, it's a reminder that man has dominion. But every time you hear about a man being eaten by a shark, it's a reminder that sin has marred some of that dominion. So the, here is God's word, God's word on the matter. You go out there and you see a whale, as some of you did this past week in the Atlantic, and you're mindful of it. You get on a plane and you fly out west and you look at the Grand Canyon and it takes your breath away and you see the beauty and you're mindful of it. Every creature, every sunset and sunrise, every star, every baby you've ever been mindful of, the one who made all of that, all of that is mindful of you. All that's in the earth, all that is in the heavens, From a child to a galaxy, from an amoeba to the greatest whale, everything testifies to the glory of God, and that glory is so great that it causes us to ask the question, what is man? What are we insignificant man compared to this great and vast universe? And God says, you're the ones. You are the ones I'm mindful of, and you are the ones I have crowned. I have crowned, God says, with glory and honor. It is a crown that has been tarnished because of sin. But Christ came to restore that through his salvation. So that the wonder of all that's in the telescope and the wonder of all that's in the microscope, all of that is a message, a messenger, so that you, the crowned creation, will serve and glorify and praise this God. In other words, everything points to God. So that when you look at him, you discover that he's pointing to you. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And you know, beloved, that revelation causes us to sing, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. But note this carefully. Because it also causes us to do something else. It leads us, beloved, to change To correct our perspective in this world, transforming our perspective into one that is true, that is right, and that is godly. It is a perspective that leads to faith and courage, to contentment and grace in this life, and it does so for these three reasons. Hear them carefully. Number one, it puts our perspective, our problems into perspective. Look at verse nine, would you? But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. By the way, if you wondered about verse 7, it says that man was made a little lower than the angels. See, that sounds like it was made lower than the angels. What that, Jesus was also made lower than the angels. Not permanently. Jesus was made lower than the angels temporarily. And you were made lower than the angels temporarily because you're headed somewhere as you'll see. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Same thing it says about man. 
that he, Jesus, by the grace of God, should taste death, death for every man. Now, look at verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have problems sitting right here this morning? Big problems, little problems, lots of problems. Let me tell you about the man who came to my office and Marcella said, Pastor, there's a man who has a big problem who wants to talk to you. He literally thinks he's invisible. And I said, Marcella, tell him I can't see him. All right, sorry about that. Problems? This is what this revelation does. It does for me. It's supposed to do it for all of us and for these Hebrew sufferers. It puts your problems in perspective. It doesn't mean you won't have any. Of course you will. But I'm going to tell you this. It is a whole lot easier to deal, to deal with and to endure life's problems when you see them for what they really are. And beloved, compared... Compared to the love of God and all his eternal purpose, problems and persecutions here really aren't much at all. But pastor, I have no best friends. My boss doesn't like me, Andy said. (laughs) My coworkers make fun of me and they treat me bad. Why don't you go out tonight in the night sky after you see my birthday candle lift off from Cape Canaveral? You go out in the night sky tonight, you gaze up at those stars, you drive over to the ocean, you take a long look at it and realize that not only does the Creator love you, but the way He has treated you was demonstrated by He Himself coming and dying for you. Dying for you. God has crowned you with glory and honor. Number one, I put your problems into perspective. Number two, Put your possessions into perspective. In chapter 1, you'll notice the chapter just before this, verse 10. It says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment, as a vesture shalt thou fold them up. Chapter 10 and verse 34 says it like this. I'll read it to you. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Wow. According to the Apostle Peter, all of this glorious creation we mentioned a moment ago, and it is beautiful and glorifies God, but every single bit of it described, all of it, is going to be, the Bible word is dissolved. Burn up with fire. So, If billions of stars and galaxies and planets, including this earth and all that's on this earth, if all of this is expendable to the creator of it, and all of it's going to be replaced by the creator of it, I have a question. Why make a big ordeal over a suit or a dress, a car, a house? Why would we lose any sleep over something as transient? As a savings account. 
God does not mind when man acquires things as blessings. He himself is the provider of all of those things. No, the important thing is to keep all your possessions into proper perspective. Is to make sure you see them in the light of the glory of God in his eternity. Have you ever read the toddler's rules of possessions? Ten rules of toddler ownership. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. Number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Number three, if I can take it from you, it's mine. Number four, if I had it a little while ago, it's mine. Number five, if it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. Number six, if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. Number seven, if it looks just like mine, it is mine. Number eight, if I saw it first, it's mine. Number nine, if you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. Number 10, if it's broken, it's yours. (laughs) I read that once and I thought, toddlers, mm, those are rules of grown-ups. Do you have possessions or do they have you? They're just things. I remember my dad told me once about, he said my great-grandma wanted to be buried with all of her favorite possessions. And dad was given the chore. And he said it was fine, except that her cat wasn't very happy about it. (laughs) You want to be buried with your possessions? Why? Possessions are one thing. Perspective on them is a completely different matter. This is why Jesus said, what shall, think about this, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? There's a lot in this world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's everything you can see, everything you can want, every position you could have. That's, that's what the Bible says is all that is in the world. So that's a lot. It's everything. But Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world? Everything he could see, everything he could want, every position he could have, but lose his own soul. Our Lord reminds us that one soul, one soul is of greater value to him than all the possessions in the world. And that's why Jesus did not die for your stuff. He died for you. And he has crowned you with glory and honor. We said, number one, it puts our problems in perspective. Number two, our possessions. The third thing I want you to notice is it puts our plans in perspective. Chapter 2, look at verse 10. For it became him, Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things. He's the creator. Here it is. In bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Pastor, I didn't get to do what I wanted to do in this world. I could have been a contender. I didn't get to be what I wanted to be. All right. Just don't forget this. Don't forget that God, in spite of your plans, already has an eternal plan. He already has an eternal purpose established for you. And the Bible says that he is bringing you to glory. Do you realize how much contentment and strength and courage and patience and resolve that one singular truth fosters in the human soul? Disappointed plans can paralyze the human spirit, but never 
If you see the crown of glory and honor that God has placed upon your head, I know that God has great plans for you. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past. All safe and blessed we shall meet at last. Our problems, our plans, our possessions. Everything, beloved, is put into right perspective when we realize that he whose name is excellent in all of the earth, and he whose glory is above the heavens everywhere you see it, he has crowned us with glory and honor. And you know, beloved, it doesn't matter if you drove here this morning in in a Bentley or if somehow you staggered from a dark night of addiction. You're the apple of God's eye and the object of his grace. And today he calls you to his son to receive the salvation of your soul and the beginning of the full restoration of that glory and honor. For believers in this room, all of you who are Christians, hear this carefully. God has called us to a supernatural life in this world. We should be transcending all of our problems. A miracle of transcending our possessions and our plans that destroy the average person. God's crowned you with glory and honor. And I just want to say on this Lord's Day morning that he's worthy of your trust and your devotion and all of your heart. If what God says in Psalm 8 and it's quoted in three other times in the New Testament, that great psalm, including here in Corinthians. If this is true, that God is mindful of you, That you're on his mind this morning. You've been on his mind. And you will always be on his mind. If it is true that he has crowned you with glory and honor and he has called you as his child to eternal glory, then don't you think he's worthy of your all? There's an old story about a fence. People are sitting on the fence. And on either side of the fence are the devil... And the Lord Jesus. And the Lord says, here is my word. Here is the truth. Here is my creation that testifies that it is true. Follow me. The truth will make you free. The devil over here says, no, 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 no. Take my advice. Take my advice and live for sin and self and pleasure and you'll be glad. Some people... Hear the word of God and trust it and follow it. And they follow Jesus to true freedom and eternal life. And some deny the testimony of God and his word and his creation, and they heed the devil's lies. One man stays on the fence. I'm comfortable here, he says. Satan then grabs him and takes him. To a life of eternity, destruction. Wait a minute, the man says, I didn't choose your side. And the devil answers, the fence is mine. How long halt you between two opinions? If God be God, serve him. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. 
If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.